0: You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit the com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoyed today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway.
1: Why did I lie again? Why is it so hard to stop doing the things I don't want to do? Wouldn't it be easier if I wasn't a Christian? Can't I just do it anyway because God will forgive it? And it's very hard, Christians. Amen, right? We have this battle all the time between our spirit and our flesh. And we have a desire to sin and fulfill the desires of our flesh. Because we like to do those things. It gives us pleasure. We like it. We like to sin. But we battle. Because we have a deeper desire not to sin, but a deeper desire to please God. And that's our deepest desire as Christians. has to be to please God. Even deeper than our desires to want to sin and fulfill the desires of our flesh. And our desire is to please God not because we have to, but because He loved us first. And so we love Him in return. But we're in a unique position as Christians because all of our sins in the past and in the present and in the future have all been forgiven. And we worship a loving Father who loves us unconditionally. No matter how many times we sin, He continues to love us and He continues to forgive us. And so that puts us, again, in a unique position. Because the problem with that sometimes can be that we're tempted to sin because we know that that sin going to be forgiven. And it's I think about, uh, well, maybe underneath that is because we don't think the consequences are that great because, hey, it's forgiven anyway. You know, there's countries that don't have a lot of problems with people stealing. You know why? Because they cut their hands off if they get caught stealing. And there's not a big problem... When the consequence is so big, and maybe sometimes as Christians we think because our sins are forgiven anyway, that l- fuels the temptation to want to sin because we think it'll be forgiven. And soon the question is not, why did I, but then it becomes, why can't I? And that's very dangerous when you're asking that question. So instead of, why did I lash out on my kids, it's, why can't I lash out at them? Because it's forgiven. Instead of, why did I sleep with my girlfriend? It can become, why can't I? Because it's forgiven. Why did, instead of, why did I gossip about that person? It's, why can't I gossip about that person? It's forgiven anyway. Instead of, why don't I give more money? It's, why can't I keep the money that's mine? It's forgiven anyway. So that's the issue we're looking at tonight in Romans. It's this temptation to sin because we know it's forgiven. So even the best of things, being forgiven by God, can be used as part of the temptation to want to sin. And that's what we're going to see in Romans tonight, in chapter 6, starting in verse 15. And so in the, the context of the book of Romans here, that Romans is a letter written by Paul, the human author, but the Holy Spirit, God, inspiring him to write this. And it's, it's kind of an essay on salvation. And the whole point is that sentence, the just shall live by faith. And Paul is proving that in this letter. And so we started with an introduction like any essay and then a section on condemnation that shows how we're all sinners and we have no works. And then a section on justification, how God has forgiven us of our sins and we are seen as legally innocent even though we're guilty of sins because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And starting last week, we got into the sanctification section. This is what happens after justification. And so justification is God declaring you legally innocent, even though you're not, because Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. And it's helpful to think of that like the wedding day. It's a one-time event that changes your legal status. Your wedding day doesn't change your love. It changes your legal position, that you're not single anymore, but you're married. Justification doesn't change your inward righteousness, it changes that you were condemned under the wrath of God, and now you're seen as innocent because of Jesus' righteous sacrifice. But then after that is sanctification. And like we have a wedding day, there's, after that is the marriage. That's the whole rest of your life. And that takes some work. You have to work on your marriage. You have to listen to your spouse. You have to do, well, I shouldn't say you have to, but ideally you want to do the things they say because you love them. And sanctification is a lot like that where we have been justified by faith by grace and through justified by grace through faith in Jesus and now we continue to grow in holiness in our sanctification becoming more and more like our God and Savior Jesus as we go through this so our justification is again like a wedding day sanctification is like the whole marriage it's all the rest of your life and being a Christian doesn't end the day you're saved that's just the beginning And it continues and it takes work and it's being obedient and serving. Not to gain your salvation, that's already happened. But that's a result of it because God puts the Holy Spirit to live inside you and that changes you. And so when we're looking at sanctification this week in Romans, Paul starts with this by by addressing two problems that may arise from where he ended talking about justification. So at the end of chapter 5 of Romans, Paul writes this the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's saying that the more we sin, the more we're forgiven. The more we've sinned, the more grace we receive. And that's amazing. But there may be some people who want to take advantage of that. Or there's maybe some questions, I should say. And that's what chapter 6 is about. And last week we looked at kind of the first thing, he said, the first question. If you hear that, that the more you sin, the more you're forgiven. He said, well then, people might say, why can't we just continue sinning? Because the more we sin, the more grace we have. So we dealt with that last week. And how because of our justification, we have a new nature, a new self, because our old self is, we nailed to the cross with Jesus. And this week in verse 15 to the end of chapter 6, it's a similar question with a little different approach. Instead of the question being, "Why don't we just continue to sin because the more we sin, the more grace we get?" the question is, "Well, if we're Christians, Christians, if we're Christians, can we just sin a little bit sometimes because it's forgiven anyway?" And that's the question that Paul's dealing with tonight as part of their sanctification and dealing with this temptation to sin because we know it's going to be forgiven. And he does this by looking, comparing it to slavery and saying that whatever you obey, that's who you are a slave to. And you're either going to obey your sin or you're going to obey your righteousness. And so you're going to be a slave to either one of those things. So it's another contrasting thing that either you're a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. And everyone is a slave to something. And the big idea is that because we're slaves to whom we obey, We must be slaves of righteousness, Paul says. So let's start in Romans 6, verse 15. And he sets it up with the question. Again, this is in response to what I read from the end of Romans 5. The more we sin, the more grace we have. So here's the question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So here's what someone might ask. Shouldn't we just sin because we don't have to follow the laws anymore. Those are the rules God Gave to his people in the Old Testament, 613, the most common are the Ten Commandments. If we're not under that anymore, but we're under grace, shouldn't we just sin? Because the only rule is, there are no rules. No, that's not true. I just made that up. But that's street ball right there. Um, That's right. I like to do that in school as well, to throw in something random and see if the kids pick up on it. uh, So he said, why can't we just sin? Because we're not under the law. We're under grace. He says, certainly not. The most emphatic way you can say no in the Greek certainly not. Sometimes it's translated, God forbid. Certainly not. So here's his answer. Do you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. And like we saw last week, when, when we say can't we just sin because it's forgiven? He doesn't say, no, try harder, don't sin. He says, look at who you are. And he says, whoever you're obeying, that's who you're a slave to. And if you're obeying your sins, you're a slave to your sin. So let's obey righteousness, be a slave to righteousness. And that's the the guiding thing tonight. We're going to look at slaves of sin versus slaves to righteousness. But there's one sort of caveat Paul puts in here. And he says, he himself admits this isn't a perfect illustration. And I like that because no illustration is perfect. So just to preface this, he says at the beginning of verse 19 about this idea of slave to sin or slave to righteousness, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So it's not a perfect illustration to say slave to sin or slave to righteousness because we're not slaves to God, we're God's children. So, but he uses this to help us understand why we should not just sin because it's forgiven Anyway. And he uses the idea of slavery because in that time it was very common. Uh, Again, we're God's children, not his slaves. But there were about 3 million slaves living in Italy at the time. This is Romans, the letter written to Romans, people in Rome. And the Roman Empire was built on the backs of slaves, they say. So there were about 3 million slaves in Italy, which was about 40% of the population. So by Paul using this as an illustration, even though he's saying it's not perfect... It helped people to understand, you know, they could connect with that. And we might not have the same connection, but I think it's still very helpful. So that's where we're going to look tonight. Slaves of sin, first of all. So let's define a slave. I read this definition I thought was very helpful to think about. It's someone who is not in ultimate control of his own actions. So if you're a slave to sin, you're not ultimately controlling that because we all do things we hate that we do, but we do them anyway. So we're not ultimately in control of that. It's someone who is at the disposal of another person. If we're a slave to sin, we are doing what it tells us to do. Someone who has to do what the master says. And this can be good or bad depending on who your master is, but if you're slave to sin, your master is not good. And so your master can be a few things. Your master can be people. You see, there's people who struggle with people-pleasing, thinking, I always have to do what's going to get approval from other people, and so even you sacrifice relationships you shouldn't to please other people. Yeah, that can be a master's, people's approval. It can be possessions, hey, living your whole life to get this and this and this, the idea of coveting and doing everything you do in order to get more possessions. That can be a master. It can be an activity, like looking at pornography. It's what you, you have to do it because that's what your body's telling you to do. Okay, so there's different masters, but... Overall, your master is going to be yourself when you're enslaved to your sin. So let's look at a few characteristics if you are enslaved to your sin from Romans chapter 6. So first of all, your sin master is never satisfied. Whatever that is, whatever is telling you you have to do, it's never satisfied. So look in uh, verse 19 of Romans 6, just the second part of that. It says... For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. He you said, your sin master is never satisfied. There will never be a time when you have done a thing enough times that it finally satisfies you. you may think, there may be other things that happen that maybe you hit your bottom or something and that causes you to stop, but no one ever stops their sin because they said, you know what? I've done that for the last time. I finally had my fill. It never works that you that way. Your sin master never satisfies you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Hey, if you love money, money will never satisfy you. Hey, if you love sex, sex will never satisfy you. Hey, if you love judging people, judging people will never satisfy you. If you love blank, blank will never satisfy you because they're wicked masters. They, it doesn't have your interest in mind. It has its own. And whatever thing you love to do is never going to satisfy you. Very important to remember. And it says that not being satisfied leads to more lawlessness. It's a, yeah, It says lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So because we're not satisfied, we continue to do that thing that we hate that we do. And lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. This happens to everybody, I think we can relate. Like, have you ever told a lie, just a little lie, to cover something up? But then that created a problem somewhere else. And now you had to lie about your lie to cover your lie. Well, now there's two lies you got to keep track of. And so then you're going to have to lie to cover up that lie. And it keeps building and building. What started as a little bit of lawlessness has now caused a huge wreck in your life. Or have you ever been a little bit annoyed or angry with someone, like your friend or your spouse, someone that you're not enemies with, but you like them, you're just a little annoyed. So you say something with a little bit of edge in your voice, and, and surprised they don't take that all that well. So they get mad, and they respond in anger, and they maybe insult you. So then you insult them back. And what started as just a little, a little annoyance, a little edge in my voice has now become a huge argument. And now who knows where that leads? Those things, if those can lead all sorts of places. And so because what we love to do sinfully does not satisfy us, that lawlessness is going to lead to more lawlessness, and who knows where that ends up. So your sin master is never satisfied. Second about being a slave to sin, you serve only sin. Verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness. This doesn't mean that you serve only sin. It doesn't mean you don't ever do anything good. But it means whatever you do is under that master. It's kind of like saying this, if I'm a slave to Dustin, which I kind of am. No, just kidding. If I'm a slave to Dustin, I don't have to listen to what Joe says, right? I can still do... That's exactly the truth. It could be the other way. I could be a slave to Joe. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so... I can still do things for Joe, if Dustin's my master, but I'm not serving Joe. And just because you're doing maybe good things under your sinful master, it doesn't mean you're serving righteousness. And people, this is, is very common in our culture, what people think a lot of the time. And people think we can be righteous by doing this and this and this. No matter what else we're doing, as long as we're doing these good things, then we're okay. Then we're serving righteousness. But that's not how it is. I mean, we think... Things like, I recycle, so I'm righteous. I have a certain attitude about life, so I'm righteous. I believe in karma, so I try to be nice, so I'm righteous. Or most of all, I try to be a good person, so I'm righteous. But if you're still serving your sin, you can't also serve righteousness. You can only serve one master at a time. And if you're a slave to your sin, you cannot serve righteousness. You can do good things, but that's not what you're serving. And ultimately, if you're not a Christian, who you're serving is yourself. It, because either if you're a different religion, a religion that is a workspace religion, which everything is except Christianity, well, then everything you're doing is to gain your salvation. You're serving yourself. If you're not religious, there's still things people do that make, they, they make up their own rules. And I know this because this is who I was until about three years ago. You make up your own rules about How you can tell yourself you're a good person, and then you follow those rules. But you're not serving righteousness, you're serving yourself. And you can't serve two masters at once. Number three, your sin master doesn't lead to good fruit. Verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And we think about in the ways that we serve sin. It says, What fruit did you have in the. Very good. I don't know how Nora got in here. All right. <laughs> uh, what, what fruit did, did you have when you're serving sin? What fruit do you have when you're serving sin? It says, The end of those things is death. And there's not good fruit. And this was big for me. About three years ago is when Jesus saved me and he made me a Christian. And before that, I was very atheist, almost anti theist. Like I thought Christians were stupid. And. This was a big thing for me to, to think of when I first heard this. I never heard this before. Hey, about what's the fruit from your life? Is it a good fruit or is it a bad fruit? And serving sin leads to bad fruit. And, you know, in, in my life at the time, I was thinking about what's coming out of my life. I was just a loser. I didn't do anything. Uh, I was a pervert. I was uh, about to be divorced. I and mean, there's nothing coming out of my life. And when I thought about looking at myself, in the perfect reflection of the Bible, not in these crazy funhouse mirrors that society tells us we're okay if you look at yourself in them. When I look at what God's Word said and compare myself to that, then I knew there's no good fruit in my life. There's maybe some good things, but what's the fruit? What's coming out of my life? A lot of times we don't see it. Like I said, we can look in whatever mirror we want to look in that's going to tell you that you're a good person. Except for the Bible. That's the only honest mirror that tells you who you really are. And what we do with ourselves is we are lawyers with ourselves and we come up with all sorts of reasons why it's okay we do this and why it's okay I sin this way. But with other people, we're judges and they're always wrong. But we're always right. And at the time when I was when I was feeling, you know, looking at the fruit in my life about three years ago, I honestly thought I was better than most people. And But when I looked at the fruit, that's what made it clear for me. Because Jesus says... You judge a tree by its fruit. How do you know if a tree is an apple tree? It has apples on it. And it doesn't have thistles. And good trees have good fruit. Bad trees have bad fruit. So what's coming out of your life is huge. And not looking at the culture, and not looking at other people, but looking at God's Word. And here's what he says is the fruit of the flesh from the book of Galatians. It says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, having sex with someone who's not your spouse, fornication having sex before you're married, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and having something at the top of your life that's not God. It almost always is yourself if it's not God. Sorcery, hatred, just hating people and thinking negative things about them, contentions, always starting problems with people, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, it, when, when all you care about in your life is yourself, and you are the top authority in your life, and you're doesn't really matter who you're going to hurt. You're going to get what you want. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Those are the fruits of the flesh. And when those are the things coming out of your life, that's not a good tree. That's what comes out of your life when sin is your master, when you're a slave to sin. That's what comes out of your life. But Christians as well, there are times when we... Have those things creep up in our life because of we're still battling with our old self, and so look at in your life what is coming out of it. And it says the end of these is death, physical death, okay, because the wages of sin is death. We're going to die physically, but also spiritual death. Hey, the other day in youth group, one of the kids was thinking really smart and said, "Well, how can there be spiritual death? Because you're either going to live eternally in heaven or, or in hell." He's like, go, "Oh, good," but he, he's speaking metaphorically. Yeah, you're alive in hell, but it's spiritual death. Yeah, you're not thriving. You're spiritually dead. So that's what the end of those things are. And number four, if you're a slave to sin, your sin master pays you. That sounds good at first, but let's look at that. The first part of verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. And so you get paid by your sin master. Serving your sin gives you payment, but it's not a good payment. The payment is death. The wages of sin is death. And in Greek, what this was originally written, and the term wages is a specific military term that describes the payment that a general gives to his soldier for services rendered. And so that's, if sin is your master, if you obey everything it says and do what it says, that's like your general, and you're the faithful soldier doing whatever your body's telling you to do. But the payment is death. That's how you're getting paid for a lifetime of serving yourself, serving your sin. The payment is death. And the thing here that we see is if if you want to work, if you want to receive payment, you can. But your payment is death. And you can't be righteous when you're a servant to sin. You can't say you're serving righteousness when the clear pattern of your life is that you're a servant to sin. And Christians as well, you know, we... Romans was written to Christians. And he's saying the wages of sin is death. And if we want to work for our salvation, we're never going to get it because the payment is death. Righteousness is a gift. We'll look at that in a minute. Hey, but the, the payment of our sins is death. We cannot earn our salvation. That's what we're, if we want to work for our salvation, that's how we're paid. But it's a gift. It says in Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith? It's a good question. No one would say, I was working really, really hard and all of a sudden I found Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You receive it from the Spirit. But then he continues, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? If you are saved by the Holy Spirit of God, you're not perfecting yourself by working. Your sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in us and us being obedient to it. Hey, the wages of sin is death. But here's the big idea about being a slave to sin, is you can't serve two gods. You can't serve sin and righteousness at the same time. And kind of to put this all together, you know, lately in my life, I always struggle with this, even before I was a Christian. And t- from time to time, as a Christian, this pride will like, rise up in me, and I'll, I'll be super prideful for is time period, I don't know, a couple weeks or whatever. The thing with pride is you can usually justify why you're feeling that way. So sometimes you don't see it for a long time. But recently I've been struggling a lot with pride. And when, when I'm letting that guide my life and my pride, thinking how great I am, when, that, when I'm letting that guide my life, I can see how this all fits in there, all these things that said about being a slave to sin. So when I say, well, sin is never satisfied pride is never satisfied. And this is whatever you're struggling with, think of it this way too. Because there's never enough things I can say about myself to puff myself up enough to say, okay, now I'm done being prideful. There's never enough compliments I can receive that's going to say, okay, now I'm done being prideful. It's just going to feed it. It's going to grow and grow. And my pride is not going to diminish. It's going to grow. And that's how all sin works. Because sin will never satisfy you. You When I'm in a... you know, season where I'm serving pride, that's really all I'm doing is serving pride. Because yeah, you have gifts, but First Corinthians 13, if you're not using those gifts in love, then what's the point? Hey, you're serving yourself. When I'm serving pride, I don't have any good fruit. Hey, everything is, you know, those, those fruits of the flesh I just read. I'm getting angry at everything and impatient with everything and bitter with everything. And hey, when you're serving those things, there's no, nothing good that comes out of it. And eventually, if that's all I ever served, would lead to death, like I just said. If thankfully, I, I am a Christian. Jesus has saved me, and he forgives me of that. But that doesn't mean it's okay. And as soon as you realize, yeah, I'm serving this sin, that needs to be repented. You turn from that sin and turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And one thing that helped me with it, if you struggle with pride, I mean, it helped me to, to not say, you know, get over this, but humble me. Like, I need to be humble. I was full of myself. And ask Jesus to do that could be, could be a helpful thing. And not that I'm done struggling with that, but, you know, when, when you're fully committing yourself to that sin, that's, that's the danger. So think, who are you serving? Hey, Christians, who are you serving? And telling yourself it's okay because God forgives you. And whoever you're serving, that's your, that's your master. And you can't just say, God forgives me so I can do whatever I want, because then God isn't your master. And at that point, the question needs to be, am I a Christian then? If I know I'm sinning and I don't care, then God isn't your master. Our deepest desires have to be to please God. And it's like a marriage, like I mentioned earlier. You can't say that you love your spouse and then ignore everything that they say to do. You can't say you're committed to your marriage if you're serving another person outside of your marriage, primarily, or serving something outside of your marriage, primarily. So you can't be a Christian and serve your sin over serving Jesus. And we listen because of love, just like with a loving spouse. You do what they say and you follow what they ask, not so that you can gain their love or to prove it, but just because you're thankful for who they are. And that's how we work in our sanctification as Christians. They are so thankful about what Jesus has done. We serve Him out of love. But when we sin, it's not because we don't know better. It's because at that moment, we want to do that thing more than knowing better. But if you continue to do that, then your deepest desire is to serve your sin, not to serve God. But now, okay, there's all the depressing parts. Now slaves of righteousness. I like this contrast. Paul gives us let's look at being a slave of righteousness. What's that mean? Yeah, again, just to you know, starting over, starting fresh. A slave is someone who's not in ultimate control of his own actions, someone who's at the disposal of another person, someone who has to do what the master says, and this can be good or bad, depending on your master. If you're slave to sin, then your master is people, possessions, activity, yourself. If you're slave to righteousness, you have one master, Jesus. And Jesus is your master. So let's look at a few things about if you're a slave to righteousness. First of all, this is the most important one. Like I just said, Jesus is your master. So verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. This is an awesome verse after hearing all that slave to sin. And I was feeling heavy as well, but... You were slaves of sin. You were that way, but now because you've obeyed in your heart the form of doctrine you've received, what he's talking about is the gospel. Because you've obeyed it in your heart, not believed it in your head, not just saying, I believe there's a guy named Jesus and he died for my sins, so whatever, but obeying it in your heart. It's a part of who you are. that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and freed you from a slavery of sin. That's that form of doctrine because you've obeyed that in your heart. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You're a slave of righteousness. And the biblical picture of this, I I love this, especially talking about being a slave to sin. The Bible says Jesus paid our redemption. And the word redemption, specifically in Greek, is a word about slave trading. It, It means the price that someone pays to purchase someone out of slavery. And Jesus paid that price. We were slaves to sin. We could not stop doing the things we hated that we were doing, but Jesus paid the price to purchase us from that by sacrificing himself. That was the only payment because the wages of sin is death and someone has to die, but you're not good enough because you're an imperfect sacrifice. Jesus is perfect and he's also God and he is powerful enough to purchase you out of the slavery of sin and make you a slave of righteousness and become your master. It says in John chapter 8, it says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And the Jews that Jesus was talking to at the time do what we do a lot of the time. They're in denial of their slavery. I mean if you read the old testament, kinda one of the major themes is that the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt and then to Babylon. And these these Jews here are saying, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone because Jesus said, You'll be made free. Yeah, they're in denial of their bondage. Just like a lot of times we are. We think we're free because we can do what we want. But we're not, because we're a slave to those things. If we like doing those things, that's one thing. But most of the time, we hate it. We hate that we do those things, but we keep doing it. We're a slave to those. They've been enslaved many times, but they didn't see it. But Jesus answered them. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And this is amazing with being enslaved to sin. Whoever sins is a slave to sin, Jesus says. And as a slave, you cannot live in the house forever. Only a son can. Someone who is a rightful heir, only God's only begotten son, Jesus, is able to make you also sons and daughters of God. Because we're slaves to sin. We do not have that authority. We don't have that power. But only Jesus does as God's only begotten son. And if he sets you free then you're free indeed. And Jesus is our master if we're slaves to righteousness. Second, Jesus has set you free from being slaves of sin to being slaves of righteousness. In verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So this builds on, you know, what I was just saying. Jesus purchased you out of the slavery of sin. And He's made you a slave to righteousness. Again, it's not a perfect illustration because they're God's children, but it's helpful to understand because He is our Master and we obey Him out of love. And what I get from this is we've been purchased out of the slavery of sin into being slaves of righteousness. But is that transforming us? Are we thinking about that in our sanctification? Is that guiding our life? And do we show the same zeal and enthusiasm for righteousness that we used to show for sin when we were slaves of sin? I think it's a good question. You know, when, remember, maybe, hopefully this is remember, this might be present. Yeah, but remember, I remember before I was a Christian and I would look forward all week to, yeah, Friday night, now I can go and go to the bar and get drunk and be dumb. Being all excited for that. Hey, that's when I was a slave to sin. But as a slave of righteousness, do you have that same excitement that you used to have for sin? To go and... Worship on your weekend to go serve God. Do you have that same zeal? I mean, this isn't necessarily sinful, but a sports fan, you get all dressed up, you know, you wear stuff like everyone else is wearing. You go to large gatherings of like-minded individuals. You cheer when your team is winning. I mean, do you have that same excitement you have for when your team is winning as when your brothers and sisters are serving Jesus and you're worshiping Jesus? Do we have that same excitement or you remember how, how you'd feel when you've been wanting to commit a sin so bad and you've been thinking about it, like maybe looking at porn or getting high or something, and then you're finally able to do it. What a relief that was. Did you feel that same relief when you want to worship and you want to serve Jesus and you finally get the chance to do it? And now it's exciting? And do we have that same excitement? And you remember talking to your coworkers and your friends about all the sins you did last weekend. I had this to drink, I drank this, I drank this, blah, blah, blah. It's all exciting. Do you have that same excitement when you talk to people about what Jesus is doing in your life and in your brothers' and sisters' lives? Do we have that same excitement that we had serving sin that we should now have serving righteousness? Because a lot of times I don't, and that's, that's why it made me think of this. A lot of times, you know, I complain a lot. And this is... I was talking to Adrian. She didn't mean this mean at all, so don't think she's mean. I should have probably made... Is this okay that I share this? Yeah. She says, I don't know. Well, I'll share it. Then you, can, then you can tell me if it's okay. She was not being mean at all. We were just kind of having a lighthearted conversation because she didn't know that this, this hit me hard. And uh, we were talking about if, if there's anything like, like that we talk about that we just go on and on about that's maybe kind of annoying, but we keep talking. And she said, well, you don't really talk a whole lot except when you're complaining. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. She didn't mean it mean, I I promise. She meant a very innocent, but, but she was right. Like that, that, that kind of cut me deep. I, really, I can go on and on when I'm complaining about something, but talking about good things, I don't have a whole lot to say. And so do we have the same excitement to serve our Master Jesus as we used to have to serve our sin? Something to think about. And number three, about being a slave of righteousness. Serving righteousness leads to holiness. Look at the very end of verse 19. Uh, Present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And now that we're slaves of righteousness, we're not slaves of sin, we serve a different master. We serve Jesus, not our sin. So we should be a different people. And when it doesn't look like there's any difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, then where's, where's the power of the gospel? And this is a thing I thought a lot before I was a Christian, I thought basically all meant to be a Christian is you can't watch R-rated movies, you can't listen to certain types of music, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and where's, where's the power of the gospel? We're serving a different master, and we're not a slave to our sin anymore, we're a servant of Jesus, and what good is it to be set free from our sin if we sin every time we're presented with the opportunity? And this is really the heart of sanctification, that? we're presented with temptations, presented with opportunities to sin. And as we continue to worship Jesus and know Him better, hopefully, prayerfully, we start turning from temptation and turning to Him instead and be gaining victories over those temptations instead of giving in to them. And just like our desire to sin was never satisfied, our desire to know and serve Jesus should never be satisfied. And we're serving different masters, but it's still... A master. Okay, when we sin, that sin will never satisfy us. When we serve Jesus, we should never be satisfied with how much we know him and how much we're serving him. Because now we serve him. He's our master. And my dad was telling me the other day about someone who kind of goes to his church and he doesn't go on a regular basis. And the reason why is he says, Well, yeah, I'm an older guy, I've been going to church for a long time. I've heard all there is to hear. And is this kind of, or is anyone kind of like right here? And sometimes I, I get at this point where, where I feel like I've, I'm doing enough. I've done enough. I don't need to serve anymore. Because I think, you know, I, do, I lead the youth group. I do this teaching. I'm on the worship team. And sometimes I think I shouldn't have to do anymore. I shouldn't have to serve anymore. Why can't other people serve more? But, again, if, if I'm never satisfied with my sin then I should never be satisfied with serving Jesus. I should never say I've done enough. I should never say I know Him enough. I should always be pursuing Him and growing because that sanctification is growing, becoming more like Him. And when you say, no, I know Him good enough, I've served Him enough, you're not working on your sanctification anymore. Now you're maybe in a backsliding territory or maybe even worse. Number four, serving Jesus leads to good fruit. Verse 22, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So we talked about the fruit of the flesh before, and those bad things that come out of being a slave to sin, but now we should have good fruit. And what should we be seeing in our lives as a result of being a slave to Jesus? Also from Galatians, you have the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. No, he hasn't memorized. It's a good thing to memorize. Love. And I think about these things once in a while, and is these, you know, coming up in my life, am I just loving people more? Do I care more about other people's needs? Because, uh, and this is, I struggle with this because, like I said, I'm prideful, and a lot of times I worry mostly about me. But I do see myself caring more about other people that before I never would have cared about. Uh, fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Is there just a happiness about you because you know your sins are forgiven? You're serving Jesus. You have a different master. Peace, it, just a calmness about things. You're able to be more calm. Long-suffering, a big one. It is being patient. We're able to be more patient with people because we're all sinners. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hey, these are the fruits of the Spirit. And again, you don't get good fruit from a bad tree. You don't get bad fruit from a good tree. So if you're serving, if Jesus is your Master... These, are, this, these types of things are the fruit that should be evident in your life. Do people see this? Or do they see the fruit of the flesh in your life? Those things you read about earlier. And that's why looking at yourself in the Bible is the most important. Because you can be doing all the fruits of the flesh, and there's going to be someone who will tell you you're doing okay. But the Bible tells you who you really are. And number five, serving Jesus results in gifts. So, the end of verse 23. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. so we talked earlier about that serving sin leads to a payment, which is death. Serving Jesus leads to a gift. And a gift is so much better than payment. It's better to be given something than to have to work for it. Sometimes we like earning our way, but this is a true gift. And the payment of your sin is death. This is so much better. And it's a gift. A gift you don't earn gifts, you're given gifts. You don't lose gifts, you're given gifts. No one can take your gifts away. A gift is something that's given to you. All you have to do is receive it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All you have to do is take the gift from here and put it here. You just have to accept it. You have to take it. It's all wrapped up under the tree. You just have to unwrap it. The gift is there. It's for Everybody. Yeah, anybody who accepts that gift receives it. And so then when you accept that, you're taken from being a slave of sin and Jesus has paid your redemption and has made you a slave of righteousness, a servant of Him. And it's entirely a gift. So to, to end, let's go back to our original question. Isn't it okay to sin a little bit because God will forgive us? But do you see how serious that is, that mentality that the more we sin, the more we're forgiven, so let's just sin anyway. Hey, God will forgive whatever I do, so let's just do it. It's very serious, because you can't be a slave to Jesus if that's your mindset. If your mindset is, I can do whatever I want, and be forgiven, then you're serving your sin. You're not serving Jesus. And you cannot serve two masters. And this doesn't mean that you never fail. But it means that your deepest desires are to serve God. And if that desire never wins, yeah, we have a desire to sin. We have a desire to serve God. And if your desire to serve God never wins, then you're not serving God. You're serving sin. And again, sanctification. We should be becoming more and more victorious over our temptations to sin as we grow in righteousness. And if you're not serving righteousness, then you're serving sin. So if you don't know Jesus, take an honest look at the fruit in your life. And think at who or what are you serving? Where is that leading you? Those things that you hate doing, but you can't stop doing them. Where is that taking you? If you're a slave to sin, how will you free yourself? Well, Christians, take an honest look at who you're serving. Who are you really serving? And we're set free from our old master of sin. Don't go back to it. And there's a great, uh, the Exodus story from the book of Exodus has a great teaching for us on this because we have the Israelites, God people, were enslaved for hundreds of years, enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years, and they lived in terrible conditions. Like they weren't allowed to worship the God of their ancestors. Their firstborn sons were killed, and Moses kind of got away. That's why he was, uh, blessed, I guess I should say. And the firstborn children were killed. They were oppressed. They had to work grueling hours, like making bricks and stuff, and they took away the hay. I don't understand how all that works, but it sounds terrible. And they were oppressed. But God did amazing signs and wonders to free them from their terrible captivity, being enslaved to the Egyptians. Like he, That's where the ten plagues come, where Moses goes before the Pharaoh and says, now let my people go free. And then there's the river turning to blood, there's locusts, there's all these different plagues where God is showing His power, that He has the power to free them. And eventually Pharaoh lets them go, and his heart is hardened, and they leave because God killed the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. And then once they were on their way, when they were leaving their slavery, well, there's the Red Sea, so God parts it for them, so they can walk on dry ground across the Red Sea, and then collapses it on their pursuing enslavers. And then, so they're free from their slavery in Egypt, the Israelites, God's people, but it wasn't easy once they were free. They had some difficulties, and they were discouraged. but God provided for, for their needs. He gave them manna, something to eat every day. He gave them water to drink all the time, wandering through the desert. You know, and they were discouraged wandering through the desert for 40 years. And what did they want to do? They wanted to return to Egypt. They, they put on their rose-colored glasses, we'll call them. The, th- the glasses that make everything in your past look better than it was. You get that nostalgia about it. And they put on their rose-colored glasses about Egypt. And They forgot all those terrible things about being a slave in Egypt. What they thought about was, well, here we only have this manna to eat. In Egypt we had meat and cucumbers and all this great food. And here we're wandering in the desert going nowhere. At least in Egypt we had our houses and all this. And they forgot about all the terrible conditions of why they wanted to leave in the first place. And they put on their rose-colored glasses and said, let's go back to Egypt. Even though God has miraculously taken us from our slavery he's done miracles and signs and wonders and parted the seas and provided for all their needs but they're tempted to go back is that is that you sometimes do you put on your rose colored glasses about being a a slave to sin and you're tempted to go back and why not just go back because god will forgive it anyway but god never gave up on the israelites he got them to the promised land and sometimes he was harsh with them sometimes they had to learn a lesson But God didn't give up on them. He doesn't give up on you. He sent his son to purchase you from that, from your slavery to sin, but to be your new master. And you won't know your master if you never spend any time with him. And so this is where it's very important. Read the Bible and pray. And then you do what he says. But if you fail, he's a loving master. He'll never stop being your master. And because of that, Our deepest desire shouldn't be to take advantage of that grace and sin because it's forgiven, but to demonstrate our love for Him, for Jesus, because He demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus, our Master, died for us. The Master died for the slaves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You've provided the redemption for our slavery to sin. You've paid the price that we could never pay, that we weren't worthy to pay, and really we didn't want to pay. And you saw us in our slavery to sin and had mercy on us. So we thank you and praise you for that. And you sent your Son, God Himself, to come to this earth to make that payment and free us from that. So now we can serve Him. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone listening who doesn't know you, who's still a slave to their sin, that you send the Holy Spirit right now to work in their heart and Tell them there's no way to stop doing those things except by the Holy Spirit, except by a new Master, Jesus. And Father, for, for us Christians, I pray that we would grow in this more and more and we would know You more, Jesus, as our Master. And we would serve You and do it joyfully with excitement and not look back to our old slavery of sin, but look forward to our salvation and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: been listening to a live teaching from the river christian fellowship home of csn if you'd like to hear today's teaching again you can catch the free podcast by searching the itunes store for the river christian fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226 there's also a video of today's teaching available on our website the and then click the media button Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.